You're listening to The Bookstack with Annie, Nia, and Sydney. Hey, friends, and welcome to The Bookstack. I'm Nia. I'm Sydney. And I'm Annie. Joining us for our season finale is Jennifer Nielsen, author of nearly two dozen historical fiction and fantasy novels, including Iceberg, that just came out in March of 2023. We're so excited to have you with us today, Jennifer. Oh, thank you. I'm thrilled for this opportunity. Well, let's get started. Um, So what books inspired you to become the author that you are? You know, to become an author at all was The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I discovered that in sixth grade, it was my book to just read over and over again. And and I'd always had this, this idea and this image of authors as like these super special people in these super special lives. And here <laughs> I'm this, you know, I'm this ordinary kid, right? Like I'm learning to ride a bicycle no-handed and I climbed monkey bars and fell and skinned my knees. And I didn't think that authors were the kind of people who would fall off monkey bars and skin their knees. And so I thought, well, then I could never be an author. And uh, here came Essie Hinton and the Outsiders, and and she's a teenager when she wrote this book, this book I would love for the rest of my life. And and that felt real to me. And I thought, well, if she could be a writer, I could be a writer. And so uh, I have Essie Hinton to thank for uh, giving me this idea and this inspiration in the first place. Was that a required read when you were in school or did you pick up The Outsiders on your own? No, and I don't, it wasn't required and it was sixth grade. So really younger than most readers today are introduced to the book. I have no idea how I discovered it. Uh, I only know that for two or three years, I read that thing obsessively. And uh, it just so happened to time out with when the movie was released, which I watched obsessively and uh and yeah it was just the book written for me so essie hinton was your favorite author as a child who is your favorite author now do you know who i have really decided is just phenomenal is uh trisha levenseller who does like the daughter of a pirate king um book and and she's got some other ones out but she just knows how to hook a reader and she just brings in every element of awesome to make those books sing. So definitely that's, she's always right now at the top of my reading list. Love that. Thank you. Yeah. So if she is your favorite author, I assume that her books are at the top of your list, but I could be wrong. So what are your three favorite books of all time? And you can say The Outsiders. We can come back to that. It's okay. No, you know, I mean, it's definitely The Outsiders was pivotal and I'm reading a ton of uh, Trisha Levenseller, but if we're going for all-time books. All-time. Like that. (laughs) All-time. That's formidable. Um, No, my top three would actually probably be um, Goblet of Fire by J.K. Rowling. My top three, and not only because I loved the book, but because that book changed children's literature forever. And, uh, and so it's actually just a very important book to have come out in terms of what I'm able to write, what kids are able to read. Um, I love forever Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen and then Goose Girl by Shannon Hale. I just got a signed copy and I'm coveting my own ownership of the book. Like I just love that forever. As you should, as you should. Those are some, those are three really strong choices those are impressive 
I I was just nodding every time you said another book. I was like, oh yeah, that's a good one. Oh yeah, that's a good one. And how many do we leave out? You know, anytime we do favorites, but I love those. We leave yeah. out all but three. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And if we are asked you, if we were to ask you tomorrow or a week from now, maybe those have changed just a little bit because of, you know, today. I know, I know my top three kind of fluctuate just a little bit. Yeah, check with me in an hour. We'll see. <laughs> So those are your top three. We've talked about what books inspired you, which ones were your favorite as a kid. Uh, what inspires the stories that you write? You know, uh, at any given time, I've got maybe four or five uh, books that are somewhere in process, you know, something that, you know, I'm brainstorming or writing or revising. I mean, there's always multiple projects and mm -hmm. And so if I have those in progress, then there's at least a dozen ideas um, at any given time that are just pushing their way forward. And, and so to come up with, you know, where everything begins uh, gets a little, I mean, everywhere, right? I, I believe mm -hmm. that we're surrounded by story ideas that, that they're in the news, they're in conversations, they're in, in uh, books that we read, they're in our dreams, they, they pop into our head and we don't know why. And so I think, you know, when it, when it comes to inspiration, it's not so much about, you know, knowing where to find the ideas. I think it's simply about being aware of the world around you. And, and when something grabs my attention for any reason, uh, I ask questions about it and the questions tend to lead me to story. And in that way, I don't think I'll, I'll ever run out of story ideas. I love that. I know that mm -hmm. you do an extensive amount of research especially with your historical fiction. So knowing that, could you kind of walk us through your writing process? Yeah. Yeah. Research is really important, especially because I write for young people, because what they read, um, even though it's a fictional novel, they read it as if that's the facts. And so I, I feel that responsibility that if I'm going to put it into a book, uh, I need to put it in the way that it was. And, and so that when a child remembers the story, they're remembering history accurate. And I might have a fictional character uh, and a fictional plot, but the world, the historical world is real and accurate. And, and so it's incumbent upon me to do my research and get it correct. Um, and so I'll do that research until I really can get my arms around the material, um, until I feel like I've got a good idea of the timeline of of the, the details I'm going to need to incorporate and, and just that I, I've got my arms around that world. And then I start to build the story within it uh, to write a first draft. And my first drafts are messy and <laughs> just, they're just awful, really. I mean, they're just terrible. Like, you know, the kind of first draft you wouldn't show your mom and your mom actually likes you. Right. And, and that's, that would be a normal first draft for me. And, and through the whole first draft, obviously I'm still researching because I don't know what I don't know until I'm in it. And I'm like, ooh, I don't actually have that bit of information. So I've got to go off and go find that. And, uh, and then once that first draft is done, then it is rewrites. And so for me, probably 50% of, of at least a historical novel is research and 30% is rewrites and 20% would be first draft. So does your writing process look significantly different when you're doing like 
your false prince or traitor's game versus iceberg or night divided? You know, it's different research. And of course, it still requires research, you know, to, you know, I mean, for false prints, right? Like sword fighting and what's the layout of a castle? How how was food stored on long journeys? You know, they didn't have a medieval McDonald's. And, and <laughs> wait, they and, didn't? What? I know. I know. No, I discovered that. I, I discovered that. Ella Enchanted Surprise. movie lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's fantasy, right? But uh, no, I mean, so obviously the research process is, it's a little lighter research, but it's still required. And, uh, and in that, if it's fantasy, you know, in lieu of a lot of research, it's, it's kind of the concept that the only limit for what can happen in that kind of a book is my imagination. So where I might do as more research here, I just do more brainstorming, just constantly trying to push myself to uh, create something new. It's fantastic. So with all of that research that you have to do, and it sounds like a lot, what are some fun facts or interesting facts that you have learned while researching? All right. Well, let's take uh, Iceberg, right? Which is my uh, latest novel. And it's the one that is based on the Titanic. I mean, I saw the movie, right? I I know that, you know, Jack <laughs> loved, you know, I mean, I know all of the the uh, Rose, he Jack loved Rose and I know all that. So I thought, well, is there really more for me to, to discover? And that research was just amazing things that I had no idea. For example, I did not know that the Titanic was on fire when it left Southampton. And it probably had been on fire for as much as three weeks before leaving. It remained. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah, isn't a cosmic thing saying maybe you shouldn't sail the ship. I don't know what it would be. Well, mm-hmm. except maybe. it wasn't even that uncommon for ships to be on oh, fire. Even better, year. it's not uncommon. Yeah, <laughs> that it wasn't just, concerning like, to anybody. Is a little concerning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like well, and you know, and so the concern though was um, that there was a coal strike happening in England at the time, so obtaining coal was it was difficult and so the titanic had barely enough coal to make it into port in uh, new york so one of the critics one of the critiques against captain smith was that the ship was going too fast well all right is it going too fast because he's in a race or is it going too fast because they're trying to get rid of this coal that's on fire, which means <laughs> they're burning it in the boiler, which is going to make the ship go faster. So it was, oh, it had man. a direct impact on the ship. But there's there's facts I learned like had 12 people not looked out their porthole windows, it might have changed the entire history. Had the had the telegram, uh, telegraph operator not been rude to another ship, they might have, uh, you know, been able to rescue nearly everybody. They might have been able to save nearly everybody on board if they had simply turned off the lights. So uh-huh. you learn all of the woulda, coulda, shouldas. Every, well, yeah, because that's where history becomes so fascinating is uh, when we get out of what's printed in a textbook and we uh, we start to discover the stories that make people say, wait, what? Like that, tell me more. And that's how readers turn pages. Love that. that Thank is, you. Is, yeah. And yeah, just thinking those about are... all those implications and all of yeah. the the cascading, you know, all of the things that had to fall into line and all of that was going on that I had no idea. It could have what just is, taken that's... one of those things, just one of those things to not happen or to happen and an entirely different outcome. 
That's that's exactly it. It was a series of, but if you look at any of the great tragic stories of history, they're almost always built on on just a mountain of what ifs. That's true. And and that's what makes those stories so compelling. That's what I was thinking. That's what mm-hmm. makes us want to keep going back to them and keep researching and finding out more information. Mm-hmm, exactly. So knowing all of that, especially when you have these these moments in history that you do write about and your fantasy worlds with all of that, if you, if you could take one of the worlds that you have created or, you know, dropped your readers into and live there, which one would it be and why? You know, I, I would really love to walk into Carthia, which is the world for the Ascendant series for the False Prince. I would love to just spend a day and, and explore, uh, because I, I've been in that world enough that I just, I don't, I wouldn't even need road signs, right? It would just, I would know my way around and I would love to see that because I know what happens in that world (laughs) (laughs) before all of the, the, you know, before the fighting begins. Would you go in as a character or would you go in as yourself? Uh, You know, I think if I walked into the book as myself, I would automatically become a character. Uh, So, you know, that's inevitable. Um, but not one of the existing characters. I because I do horribly mean things to all of my characters. So <laughs> I, I mean that's for funsies, right? Got to drive the plot somehow, right? You know, well, you know, cruelty to characters <laughs> is just one of the perks and joys of being an author. Um, but uh, but I would love to sit back and just watch it unfold. I that would be amazing. I like, there've just been so many good one-liners as we're sitting here. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I was writing them down as we were going. (laughs) It is. It's just those out of context quotes about, you know, it's, it's super fun to be mean and cruel, you know, as an author to your characters. Yes. Mm -hmm. In that context, don't take it out of context. So what are some of the things that you feel make your books fun or unique? You know, I don't know. This is where imposter syndrome sort of kicks in. And and you just think, I don't know why anybody reads my books because they're so full of, you know, things I wish I had done better. But I think there's, there's, I think my books have unexpected page turning moments where you turn the page and you're like, I did not see that coming. And, and I, sometimes I'm, I'm like, oh, that, that worked out really well. I think there's humor in some of my books, except for the ones where there's not. Um, <laughs> See right there, there's humor in some of my books, except for the ones where there's not. Well, you know, I mean, when I'm doing, you know, some of, there's some books that are really heavy in topic, you know, when yeah. we're talking about Holocaust or something, I'm not aiming mm-hmm. for laughs, but, right. um, but, you know, false prints certainly, I mean, you just want to smack that kid for things he says half the time. And then you're like, oh, say something else. That's just the worst thing you could say. And those are really fun. But I think, you know, then there's something you get to the end of, I think, one of my books and you you know more than you did and you understand more than you did about a time you thought you knew. And, and that I'm always really happy when I get that feedback from a reader that they know more or have a different perspective. Thank you. That's pretty fabulous. Imposter syndrome, hopefully we'll we'll let you answer this one. What are some of the ideas that you've put into ink that you are the most proud of? Ideas I've put into ink. The uh, ending of the false prints, I'm really proud of. 
And, and, and really the journey that that book has been on the impact it's had on readers. Um, I'm proud of that. Just that, that it happened a night divided. I'm really proud of that book for, because at the time that I released it, there wasn't a single middle grade book on the Berlin wall for, you know, nothing for young readers. And, and I had never written a historical before, so I didn't know if I could write a historical. And, and just to see the journey that that book has taken, I'm really proud of that. But, you know, I, I don't spend a lot of time, honestly, looking back at the books, you know, and, and, and evaluating. I'm, more, I'm way more focused on just what I'm doing next. And so it's not mm-hmm. so much about what I'm proud of as, as it is what I'm excited about and what, you know, I'm, I'm trying to challenge myself to say, I don't know if I can do this let's, let's have at it. And that's, that's far more interesting to me than anything that's come before. Okay. So the first book that you published, was that False Prints? No, the first one was Elliot and the Goblin War. Maybe five people heard of it and four of them were my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I like the title. It sounds awesome. It Uh does. So how do you feel, or how do you think that that first publication affected your trajectory as an author? I mean, that first book, I'm, I'm very proud of it, but honestly and truly, like it, it barely made a ripple in anyone's world. And that's the people who heard of it, you know? And even though I'm, I'm, I love it. I love the story still. It just didn't make, you know, a splash as much as, you know, it just kind of floated on that water. And, uh, and so I, but I, I was very, very fortunate at the time that I sold it as a trilogy. So I knew I would have three books. And Mm -hmm. so while I was working on those three, that's when I sold The False Prince. And the timing of just how everything worked out was really great because uh, Scholastic bought The False Prince before they realized that nobody was buying Elliot. And uh, and so <laughs> they didn't know that I was destined to be a completely unknown, unheard of author forever. And since they didn't know that, they thought, well, let's give her a chance. And uh, and and so it's I, I think it's it's my way of saying, you know, where you begin has nothing to do with where you are going. Right. That that if you think, you know, your your first effort at something hasn't hasn't netted the results that you want, so what? Uh try again and and keep at it and and keep pushing your way forward and upward no matter what it is you are trying to do because there is never a point in your journey where you are bound to one particular path. So you just keep going and you'll you'll get to where you want to be. I like the way you think. I do too. Yeah. This is fantastic. You say that you're always looking forward and you don't necessarily like looking back. So when you're thinking of new ideas, I know you said it's partly just paying attention to what's happening around you, but where else do you go when you're trying to think of new ideas? All right. So let's say I am kind of trying to figure out what should my next historical novel be. There is, I collect like when I go to thrift stores, I collect just random books where I'm like, ooh, I think maybe one day I would really love to know more about that. So in my stack, I've got right now like Strange Battles of the Civil War 
which is really, <laughs> I've got a book called what if, and it's just historians saying exactly what we were talking about before. What if this one thing might've been different? How would all of history changed? Um, I've got a book about the real person who inspired uh, the character of Sherlock Holmes. I've got, um, oh, let me see. Oh, I've got one that is about the bunkers that were prepared if the Cold War ignited into actual war about those bunkers. And and I just think that is like such a cool thing. And so, that is yeah, really cool. Oh, it is. It's, That's it's super cool. It's got to be like an alt history story one day. And, and so I'll do that. Um, I, I read a lot with uh, history and pay attention. You know, if I see like, like stupid facts about history, I love all of those. I pin those are the best. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a, I have a book called Napoleon's hemorrhoids that are all Perfect. about like stupid facts <laughs> about history that affected the outcome of historical events. What a title. Yeah. I know. How I are you it not, up? Yeah. How are you not going to want to know more about Exactly. Napoleon's mm -hmm. hemorrhoids, which actually, you're right, did have a huge impact. Huge impact. But, but yeah, like stupid facts are really great. But see if it's, uh, let's say it's a fantasy novel, right? And you're just kind of like speaking to the universe of, hey, you know, work with me. Um, it's the power of the question, what if? Mm -hmm. um, which obviously we've addressed a few times here, but in a, in a, in a writer's setting, you know, if, if you were to look around just the room you're sitting in right now and, and you notice something and then your question is that begins with what if, so if, if your eyes happen to land on your kid's book and it happens to be about dragons. And, and so the question is, well, what if dragons were here in our world now? Or the question is, you know, what if there's only one surviving dragon? Or, you know, I mean, any number of questions. And, and then you just play with that. What if, what if, what if, until you know you found your answer. And you write mostly young adult. Is that yeah. correct? I think uh, that is what young adults are looking at too. Like, you know, that's their yeah. developmental age is what if this were different? What if, what if, what if? Yeah, but I think, you know, I think it's an empowering question for all of us. Right. I think sometimes, you know, as adults, we get kind of locked into, well, this is my life, you know, and mm -hmm. I could never change careers at this point, or I could never, you know, make a difference at this point. And, and how amazing would it be if we as adults just step back to say, but what if, what if I could, or what if I did, or what if I just tried that? And so I don't think there's any age where we outgrow that. I think we just become jaded to the answers and that's a tragedy. It is. Absolutely. It's a good insight. Well, that's, I think that's why, I, I think that's why a lot of adults would have started to read YA again too, is it's maybe reigniting that, that old feeling that they had when they were in that, you know, focused age group of what if, well, you have this entire realm of possibilities out there who said it's closed. Maybe that's what the books, maybe that's why a lot of people are reading YA right now too. Yeah. Well, there's a hope that, mm -hmm. you know, that happens that you don't always see in, in books for adults. You tend to see hope in books with, for young readers. And, yeah. Um, we certainly need more of that in the world. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's less jadedness, I think, in some yeah. of the, the perspectives that, that you get 
in YA. I think that's why people of all ages gravitate towards YA books. It's not because the plots are simple because a lot of times they're really, oh, really they are not. not simple. No, they're, they're yeah. very well written and they're very tight because they're occasionally smaller than other books. But that just means that they packed more punch in the in the pages that they have. But you have a an optimism that you don't get in some adult books. And I think that that's why readers well into their 30s and 40s and 50s are still gravitating towards picking YA books over other books because they want that hopefulness or that optimism that that you get with a happy ever after. Sure. Well, and it's empowering, you know, when when you read about a character who really believes that they have it within them to save the world or to change the world or to have an impact on their world. I mean, don't we all want to believe that there's something in us that could be great? Yeah. And and young and adult really speak to that. Yeah. And we need a lot more people like that, you know, to keep things going and changing with with everything that's going on right now. Yeah. Especially if you, I mean, if, if you just stick with something, like look at what the climate's doing, that's, we're gonna have to start thinking on our feet a little bit and knowing that people go, you know, what can I do? What if I have an yeah. idea we could do these things, you know, it makes it a lot less hopeless for things you can't change in the grand scheme, but maybe you can change on the smaller scheme to help make it better. Well, and, and I believe that, you know, very, most of the time it's, it's the small things that do make a big difference, mm-hmm. you know, right. that, that you know, those small gestures we make, those are the significant ones. And we don't have to wait until we can do something huge in life. Right. Sometimes saving the world doesn't take big acts. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Small steps. Gotta eat the elephant <laughs> one bite at a time. Oh, I went yeah. with that one step, baby step off on the bus, baby step off the bus, baby step back on the bus. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you've got a, a wonderful selection of books that you have out right now. And we, we mentioned when we first started the iceberg just came out this last spring. What else do you, do you have something else that's coming out relatively soon that our friends can look forward to, or that we can kind of go, Hey, this is coming in out and the, you know, this is, this is in the pipeline and we have a rough date. Yeah. Yeah. Um, two things coming out in January of 2024, I'm going to release a book called once upon a climb with a uh, shadow mountain that is uh, based on a speech I once gave at the Storymakers Conference. And it is it is just about the things you can do to kind of reach your personal summit, whatever it is you are wanting in life. It's, it's just about that. It's going to be a beautiful book. Like it's, they've done an amazing job with it. And then um, next spring, I will release um, Uprising, which is based on the true story of a a girl named Lydia who fought in the Warsaw City uprising. And she was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, This girl was meant to be one of the best pianists in the world. Like at age 12, she was giving concerts in Warsaw for huge audiences. But now the Nazis have moved in and she's fighting them. And uh, this girl is, is one of, I mean, she's just an amazing, amazing person and what she's been able to achieve. And I get to tell her story. Um, and I could not be more excited about that. Those sound, awesome. both, those both sound really good. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really exciting. Okay. Um, we talked about your three favorite books earlier. 
Um, as a way to kick off our next season, we would love to talk about those as part of our stacks. Would you be willing to pick one of those and assign it to each one of us to read? Uh, like assign each of you to uh, read one of these that I'm assuming you've all all read because they're all just that amazing. <laughs> maybe, maybe, right. maybe not. I'm not maybe. sure if I've ever yeah. actually read Pride and Prejudice. I've never read Goose I have. Girl. I know that. I, I haven't read Goose Girl either. So I think we no. ought to start there with which one have some of you not read. So who has not read Pride and Prejudice? You've all There's read it? the reason I haven't read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, then Annie, you've got to do it. Yes. Yeah. From the first sentence. All right. From the first sentence to all the way to the last. All the way yes, to the last oh, period. Well, ideally. <laughs> okay. Can, can I listen to it on audiobook or is this one that I need to read, read physical copy? I, you know what? Just make sure you've got a really good reader for okay. it. And, and if it's got a good reader, then have at it. But I'm actually jealous you get to read it for the first time. <laughs> All right. Um, Nia, did you say you hadn't read Goose Girl? Yeah, I haven't read Goose Girl. Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, there, you cannot go wrong with anything written by Shannon Hale. Mm -hmm. But this one I so loved. Now, it took me a chapter or two to really get into the world. Um, and once I did, I don't think... I mean, I don't think my kids ate that day. I think I was just like, <laughs> I am reading. You can all, you know, I think maybe I dumped Cheerios on the ground and just let them, you know, fab at it. <laughs> you know, that is not beneath me if it's a really good book. <laughs> so you're giving me permission. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, it's, okay. it's one way to uh, mass feed kids when you <laughs> can't look up from the book you're, you're uh, engaged in. Sydney, I'm assuming you've read Goblet of Fire. I have I haven't read I haven't reread it since I first read it. I actually bought it when I was in Canada. Oh so I have God. the Canadian cover and the Canadian version of the book. But I haven't ever reread it since I got it in Canada and devoured it while I was supposed to be on my trip with my parents in Canada and <laughs> was reading instead. <laughs> You know, that book, um, up until that book, publishers said kids would not read a series, like sequential series, longer than three books. And J.K. Rowling said, yes, they will. And up until that book, publishers said kids would not read a book longer than 200 pages. Oh, my gosh. J.K. Rowling said, yes, they will. Definitely longer than 200 pages. Oh, how pages. little it faith did. they Just had in children. They had so right? little faith. And then kids read it. And, and have funny. since proved that wrong again and again and again and again. That's why we get books. Yeah. So uh, 36. That. I don't even remember that. Oh, no, I, I just looked at it. I didn't. I well, didn't I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't seem like it was that long. Yeah. It seems huh. like it can't be right, but it, it is. <laughs> oh, I think that's, that's amazing. And I'm, I'm excited I'm to reread it as an adult because I've never reread the books at all as, as an adult. I've only ever enjoyed them as kids and then you know the movies yeah and all the movies had to leave out yeah i'm gonna get to parts in the book where i'm like oh i forgot that happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i would love to you know uh, the first time i walked into like harry potter world you know at universal studios and i yeah. just stood there at the entrance and i realized that all of that came from one woman's imagination and that was really That's amazing. Powerful. Yeah, just to realize that it just started as an idea. Um, 
and that all of that that we engage in and you know i can buy my butter beer and and take the ride and i can go into these shops and it was just one woman imagined all of it and that's why i say you know we don't know our trajectory so we just we just go forward as if it's the biggest thing we can imagine i love that's that fantastic thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us we've had an amazing time and your your perspective is is amazing it's we when we finish all of our chapters we usually finish with a, a closing quote and picking the one for this chapter was really hard because <laughs> you have so many amazing ones to pick from and, and you probably added to and, that list as we yeah. were talking <laughs> <laughs> well thank you thank you for that thank you so much again this was great well, thank you for the opportunity and thank you for what you are doing to spread the word about books and 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 reading and, and how wonderful it can be in people's lives. You all are doing amazing work with this podcast. Thank you. Well, friends, we hope you enjoyed listening to our interview with Jennifer Nielsen. Links to her social media can be found on our Facebook, Instagram, and website. We're going to be taking a break between the seasons to read Jennifer's books and some books from the bestsellers list from 1971, as well as do some behind the stacks work for season four. So keep an eye on our social media for updates on when that's going to happen. And we will see you for season four. Friends, thank you for listening to this chapter of the book stack. As we sign off, we'd like to leave you with some food for thought, and we'll see you when we return for season four. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at Bookstack Trio and follow us at Bookstack Trio on Instagram and Facebook to see a full listing of the books mentioned in our stack. If you read a book from this stack, let us know what you thought on social media. You can also find us on our website at bookstacktrio.com. Books themselves are freedom. Freedom to think, to believe, to dream. Jennifer A. Nielsen.